Hi, I'm Zach. I've been working in beer for well over a decade, so it's not uncommon for me to find myself enjoying a pint and great conversation with some of the most interesting folks in the brewing industry. Since many of the world's most entertaining discussions happen over a beer, I thought it might be fun to share a few of mine with you. This is Zach Talks Beer. Hello, and welcome to Zach Talks Beer. This is an informal podcast in which I welcome friends and peers from the brewing industry on for an unfiltered, honest, and oftentimes fun conversation about working in beer, life outside of beer, and everything in between. My name is Zach Nichols, and I'm a brewer and a small brewery owner originally from Wisconsin, but now I'm based outside of Boulder, Colorado, in a little town called Lafayette. I've been in the beer world professionally since about 2009, and I've met and spent valuable time with a lot of great people in that stretch, and my guest today is certainly one of them. Uh, I'm happy to welcome Eric Larkin of Cohesion Brewing onto today's show. Eric, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I'm happy happy to be here, and I, I actually didn't know you, you've been uh, in the industry about the same amount, of, or longer than I have by a little bit. I, I didn't did not know that, so I'm curious to learn more about where you started out. Sure. Where, where, uh, to just to kind of jump right into things, where, where did you get into beer professionally? Yeah, I was, I was at, a. well, I, I did the home brewing thing like a lot of people and, uh, it blew up the fermenter in the shower and got, got to do it everywhere. Right and, yep. Broke a, broke a carboy on a second story apartment in Burlington and spilled word everywhere and freaked, freaked the girlfriend at the time out quite a bit. So yeah. yeah. Uh, started that was like right out of college 2011 um, 2010 kind of start, yeah 2010 started home brewing um, was interested in agriculture quite a bit so uh, got onto uh, a farm in Burlington doing uh, kind of small scale farming uh, veggies animals all the stuff and then uh, they were taking spent grain from a brewery and I was bringing home brews in for us to drink during harvest or lunch or whatever and um, they said you, you seem to like this beer stuff. Like, do you want to go work some days at the brewery? And I said, sure. So I uh, went down to Zero Gravity, uh, which is now bring the flatbread location in downtown Burlington, which is kind of being sure. rebranded. They're sort of splitting the two businesses. I think it's going to be American Flatbread Bread Brewery now. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I started, yeah, I started volunteering there and um, uh, was working about a month, uh, about 30 hours a week. And then finally asked, like, hey, could I get paid? for some of this work I do. And <laughs> the head brewer was like, we don't pay you yet. And I was like, no. Uh, <laughs> so she's like, oh yeah, we, we should pay you. You're, you're helping. <laughs> so, so I got my start that way, kind of volunteered my way in, but definitely uh, learned the ropes over there. And then, uh, yeah, that was, that was 2011 uh, that I was, I kind of made that jump from home brewing into making some money, making beer. Um, yeah. And that was parlayed into working at Allagash for a little bit um, after that. So. Yeah, and then and then made my way out to Colorado about six years ago, um, working at Odd Thirteen, which is where we met, um, sure. and then two and a half years ago started Cohesion and or planned Cohesion. Uh, called called my wife as I was leaving CBC and said I'm I'm going to start a brewery. <laughs> and, uh, she probably pre- saw pre- that coming, I'm guessing, right? Well, no, because I had said 
I had said the entire time we'd been dating and married, like, I don't want to start a brewery. <laughs> I, I didn't, I never had an idea that really kind of pushed me over the edge. And then all of a sudden things came together and I had that idea. So that's, but it happened, you know, as a culmination of experiences and conversations I had at, at CBC and before that, you know, with uh, you know, people like yourself brewing and talking about business a little bit and uh, always being interested in that. It all just kind of, kind of came together after, after CBC. So um, she was, she was surprised and, uh, but always has been since day one. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do it. Let's figure it out. <laughs> it's been, it's been a wild ride as, as you know, getting the brewery open. Um, and then yeah, we've only been open about, about three months now. So. Absolutely. And we'll, 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 uh, we'll dig into, uh, sort of the, the genesis of, of cohesion in a yeah. sec. Let's, uh, let's crack a beer. So, um, yeah. what do you, you got, you got a beer in front of you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I like ready. to ask, I basically ask all of our guests who join me on the show, uh, to bring with them a beer that's special. So it can be their own, be something that, uh, they're really into at the moment locally, or it can just be something that they enjoy, uh, that's maybe been around for a while that they just think deserves a little bit of love. So, uh, what are you opening? So I have, um, from bear brewing down on South Broadway there, this year's version of bring the green back, which is the kettle sour. I believe kettle sour, uh, they call it a table sour with spruce tips. Um, nice. and I actually, uh, at some point it looks like it was dry hop with Simcoe when I checked on taps. I'm not, I'm not sure if this one was or not, but, um, I do know it's a table sour with spruce tips. Um, and I, I've loved this beer ever since I first tried, I mean, I've tried it every year they've had it now. And I just, I love the combination of spruce tips and sour. And then something that kind of, I always, two things they do that I always appreciate as well is uh, using local malt on this one. The, so they're using some Troubadour malt and then finding a way to use beer to give back is uh, definitely something I like to do. And I love that this beer goes to some water conservation efforts I think here in Colorado, I think it's specific to the, the greenback trout somehow, uh, which okay. is why they came up, came up with that name. But yeah, those, those things coming together, you know, small, small independent brewery doing something cool and different and then using local malt, giving back that's, uh, that's kind of right up my alley. So, right. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen that beer making the rounds on, on the socials and all that. And, uh, been meaning to try to get my hands on it. So maybe I got to yeah. swing by when I'm on my, on my way to Denver. So I am opening a jolly pumpkin noel nice. um yeah and you know i'm not gonna lie it's been a while since i've had this beer mm -hmm. uh it's in a can and <laughs> which, is, which is still so weird some of those beers right? end up in cans now yeah right um and i know for a fact the last time i had it it was in a bottle um mm -hmm. so it's probably yeah. been at least two years since i've had it and actually yeah. this one i've kept in my fridge uh since last year um okay. so what, what do you remember when Jolly Pumpkin started canning? It's it's probably Ooh. been two years, maybe. It was probably a COVID, a pre, just barely pre-COVID, maybe. Um, but no, I I haven't. I don't think I've had a Jolly Pumpkin out of a can. That's how long it's been since I've I've had one. But man, yeah, talk about just classic yeast flavor. I feel like I I think about that yeast profile when I think about this that style of beer. It's pretty it's pretty well known. So right. that's a awesome awesome choice. Yeah, definitely a big brewery for me, uh, important brewery. And, uh, you know, what Ron Jeffries did kind of spearheading a lot of the, you know, farmhouse and sour movement in America. Hell, I don't know how many years ago was that 15, 20? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and kind of 
bringing the the small scale sort of South Belgium style and uh, you know Brussels style brewery to the Midwest uh, at the time he did it is uh, ambitious to say the least. Yeah, so, I uh, mean working with working with Oak like nobody was at that point. I mean even uh, some of those large scale fooders that he's used and still uses today, like that was there was not a lot of breweries playing with that. I mean Allagash had a, a couple, but most of their stuff was still in. 55 gallon barrels or, or wine barrels, you know, and I, I know that he was playing with large format pretty, pretty early on. So, right. And so, uh, well, well, so Allagash, let's, let's talk a little bit about that now, you know, yeah. to, in today's world, you find yourself running a, uh, Czech lager style brewery mm-hmm. yet, uh, you've got some, some, a little bit of your origin story lies in Allagash, which is, you know, a, a more Belgian focused brewery in Maine. Mm-hmm. How does how does that all kind of come full circle? Tell me a little bit about you know where you came from and, and how you ended up where you're at. Yeah, I I learned so much working at Allagash, but and and not just about the the beer brewing, right? I mean, there was it it has been and remains to this day one of the most popular breweries in in the country because of the not just the beers, but the way the company is run too. So, you know, I think I think it was. Part of what I am doing now, a very clear parallel I see, uh, is the style is focusing on a single culture of beer, right? And the the Belgians definitely have a wide, wide breadth of styles. Um, you know, saisons, lambic, goose, trappist, and they you know go from sour to multi sweet, um, all in the same little country, which is fascinating. And the Czechs definitely have a slightly narrower focus, but I think. Um, but honing in on one style of beer and kind of using that as, or one country's beer, I guess, and using that as kind of an inspiration for process is definitely something that has worked really well at Allagash. And I think, you know, we're, is part of what we're trying to do too, is show off, you know, a, a country's culture and um, have a little fun with it, play with it, you know, in some, some certain ways and make it American in other ways, but try and hold true to what a classic representation of style would be there uh, in, in a couple of ways. Um, so I think that part definitely ties together. And then, um, yeah, I think just the way that Allagash as a company, when I was there, um, was very mindful of the, the customer, you know, you're, you only exist as a brewery because of your customers. Right. And, and there is, um, it's not like a business where you can have a single transaction and make all of your money. You know, there's a lot of industry where you, you're not working with clients and such a wide range of clients every day. But I often think about, the number of people that drink an Allagash beer every day, you know, it's, it's in the thousands probably. And sure. so they, they have so many customers and, and they understood that without those customers and without their community that supports them, they're not going to be able to do what they do. So Rob, Rob Todd has always had a big focus on, Hey, we need to support the people that support us. And whether that's locally or, you know, on a bigger scale, uh, just by being an example of, you know, and acting locally, I think they've, they've always done that. And the amount, I mean, there's a lot of, donation initiatives within the company that aren't, aren't talked about. And there are quite a few that are talked about, but there's, I mean, he does, he does a lot for, for Maine and that, that area and, and always has. And, uh, and then I think the aspect of, you know, not always taking yourself so seriously is kind of something that, um, you know, the beer industry should still be fun. At the end of the day, it is just beer. And like, we should be able to relax with it and use it as a really what it was meant to be, which is a communal beverage to have a good time around. And, so I think, I think those aspects, you know, Alex Gash definitely showed me a ton of technical brewing knowledge, but those aspects are really what kind of guides 
guides me to, you know, and guides cohesion in a lot of ways. So um, it was, it was an awesome place to work. Uh, you know, Maine is cold as cold as all hell in the winter, but um, other than that, it was, it was a pretty, pretty awesome place to be for a couple of years. Sure. And you, so what year did you find yourself in Colorado? So we moved out here in um, 2015 or 16. I can't okay. remember. But okay. yeah, it's uh, 2015 or 2016. Um, yeah, my uh, then, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, was relocated to Arkansas. And I decided, or we decided, we weren't. We weren't going to move to Arkansas. She didn't. She didn't <laughs> see a home. You were not going to Arkansas. <laughs> she didn't see a home for herself there, and I certainly didn't either. So we wanted to find a place for skiing and and beer for me. And she works in consumer packaged goods. Uh, worked for General Mills, so like you know uh, all that <laughs> big big food stuff. But uh, Boulder has a ton of natural food, kind of out closer to you. So uh, she saw a good potential for her to get into some natural food out there, and obviously beer jobs for me and lots of lots of skiing. So we moved. Out here, sure. And you spent some time at Odd Thirteen Brewing in in Lafayette, which is where I'm located, and which is where yeah. I met you. Um, yeah. And you were there what two years, three years? Uh, that was about three and a half. Okay. Um, yeah. So I basically left there in March of 2019. So I guess we can work backwards there with with the math and get to, if that was three and a half, it was 2016. It all adds up. That <laughs> I moved out here. So. Yeah, March of March of nineteen is uh, is when I I decided I was going to leave uh, thirteen, but that was yeah that was again another incredible learning experience. Just uh, you know Ryan hired me to uh, start a production facility, and I had worked at a large production facility, but certainly had not had not built one myself. Um, and so there were some pieces in place, but there was a lot of work to do, and it was it was awesome to build, build a brewery, which, you know, you've, you've done now twice yourself. So with, <laughs> with moving locations, so you, you know how much you probably learned from the first time to the second time. Sure. Absolutely. And so, uh, cohesion, right? So, uh, you decided walking out of a craft brewers conference in, did you say 2019? Yep. Yep. That, that cohesion was going to be a thing. You were going to start this brewery. Was it always going to be a Chuck Lager focused brewery? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of always, always when cohesion, you know, the brewery that I had in my head, uh, it was always check loggers. Yeah. It was, um, my wife and I had traveled there on our honeymoon in 2019 and, um, you know, someone who'd been making beer in 2019, about 10 years, you know, from home brewer on, um, it was, it was strange to me that there was so much about the Czech beer culture and style that I hadn't seen before or hadn't experienced before, or I kind of thought was um, a little bit misrepresented here in, in the, in the U S and I saw, you know, it, it clicked more when I wanted to start my own venture and my own company that like, that was one of the pieces that was always missing was what style of beer do I brew and how do I passionately put myself behind a style of beer, you know, in a way that I think people will want to come and drink it. Um, and Czech lager was something that I knew I could do that and would, would also kind of be a, a thing that set us apart. So it, Czech lager was always, yeah, in the, in the sights of what uh, cohesion would do. Nice. Nice. I think it's a great focus. And so you guys have been open, you're in Denver, Colorado. You've been open what, four months now? August 6th was opening date. Uh, so yeah, we're like three and a half, three and a half. <laughs> just barely. Yeah. Right. Feels like. 10 years and one day at the same time, right? Basically. Yeah. 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 
So you guys have been open three and a half months now and mm-hmm. uh, things are going well. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been crazy the amount of positive feedback that, that we're getting from um, anywhere from our opening weekend, having someone who was an immigrant to the United States from the Czech Republic uh, sit down at the at the patio and tell me that the beer tastes like home and the place feels like home, which is, you know, about the best uh, feedback that we can get, you know, to even even people that come in and they have no idea what we're doing, no idea who we are and, and say, you know, wow, this, this place is really cool and this beer is really good. Um, and that's so, yeah, it's been people have really been enjoying it. And I think it's it's fun educating even our staff um, on all of the nuances of the style. Uh, it's been really rewarding to see people to have people notice that our staff is uh, well trained and, and hoping to convey, you know, a, a culture and a style that that is is unique. And, and different and kind of be able to walk people through it um and you know that's definitely there's definitely a lot of breweries embracing fun and unique different things so i think it's and, and i've had some experiences myself you know trying to explain new england ipa when we were making that at odd 13 or you know helping uh you know our, our mutual friend brandon up at primitive and like um explaining what limbic and goose is you know that can be a process too so it, it's been fun i think educating people and trying to bring uh a new perspective on, on beer for, for people has always been something that I've enjoyed. So sure. yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been great, great doing that and great seeing the feedback on it. Absolutely. So I, I want to talk about beer, but since you brought it up, let's talk about your space. Yeah. Um, beautiful space. Very, uh, you know, I've never been to the Czech Republic, but it seems uh, very much to the T what, what you would expect a, a beautiful uh, Czech, Czech brewery beer hall to, to feel like and, and look like. Um, was that something that you always wanted to make sure that you sort of replicated or, or brought with you or was, you know, I mean, cause you could, you, as good as your beer is, you could have just, you know, opened up in, in a pretty ragtag, uh, warehouse in Denver and opened up a garage door mm-hmm. and, and serve some, some nice check, check lager. And I'm sure you guys would have been very busy as well. So what, um, what was the impetus to, to put so much time and focus and energy and I would assume money into you know, this beautiful tap room. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't, wasn't the cheapest route. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's been, so my, it's just, I think it's a lot of inspiration um, from my dad. Honestly, my dad was, has peripherally cared about architecture as long as I can remember always buying architecture magazines. And when we would travel kind of talking about architecture, not, he's not academically trained in it in any way, but he's, he's interested. He's always um, been an enthusiast in, in architecture. Yeah. He, yeah. And he does, he actually does tours for the, I think it's the city of Dallas uh, in Dallas right now. He does like architecture tours. That's the only thing he's done consistently throughout retirement. It's like these architecture tours. Um, and I've gone on one of his architecture tours and it's, it's fascinating. So he, I think more than I realized, uh, especially I realized it a lot throughout this process that I, I also care a lot about those details and I've kind of picked that up from him. So um, it was, it, yeah, part of it was about, um, I think, caring about that, that stuff. And like Lisa and I, my wife, Lisa and I have always been attracted to places that we think are aesthetically pleasing as well. And thinking about the customer experience, not just from the beer that's in front of them, but from the environment that they're in um, and wanting to provide a, you know, comfortable, but, um, interesting to look at has interesting details has interesting architectural pieces to it um was always something we wanted to do and then 
yeah, going to the Czech Republic, spending time there and really trying to soak up some of the details that we thought we could uh, work with. We worked with an incredible architect, uh, Unum Collaborative, who's based out of Denver. Uh, we kind of picked them partially or uh, largely because of the style of things that they do. And we knew that they would kind of push it a little bit modern and we could sort of feed them images and ideas and, and uh, framework of this old classic Czech uh, pub. Um, Hospoda, they call it in Czech. It's and it's, I mean, it's such a cultural institution there. The the Czech has a population. They drink more beer per capita than uh, the next country by almost double. Um, they drink a ton of beer and and they spend they spend so much time in these pubs. It, it really is a place that um, you know you read about. I feel like I'm sure you've read about when you're thinking about how to name things, how to talk about things. These old public houses, these old bars in the U.S. Sure. where you know, that's where you got your mail. That's where you picked up your paycheck. Like that's, you know, all these things happened there and it was a cultural center. And obviously that's, you know, fallen off here and, and in Czech as well. But it feels like the Czech are kind of holding on to some of the auxiliary benefits of that gathering place a little bit more in, in their beer culture. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a really cool place to be. So we wanted to try and pull some of the elements of the bars that we saw there in, you know, add in some of the architectural details that, that we like and find an architect that could help us bring that together and then yeah deliver a space that um, was was interesting to people when they sat down and, and were in that place and it, you know it had something that could could grab people's attention um, but even yeah just trying to keep it authentic um, was was really important to us us too so we definitely that the nook that we have um, with the, the Wayne's coating brown Wayne's coating is like that to me feels the most classically kind of check um, some of the places I've been. But yeah, it was it was a ton of fun to work with with uh, Jim and Adam and the crew at, at Unum Collab. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of detail and a lot of uh, showing them pictures and working through yes, this, not that. And uh, but I, I think people are, are again are, are enjoying it and they definitely notice the space when they come in, which was was part of our goal. So it was another way to differentiate ourselves in that way to have a noticeable space. Zach Talks Beer is supported by Cellar West Artisan Ales. Cellar West is an award-winning small brewery in Lafayette, Colorado, just outside of Boulder and a short drive to nearby Denver. Named one of Beer Advocate's best new breweries in 2018, Cellar West crafts a variety of small batch beers, ranging from barrel-aged farmhouse sales to rustic European lagers. Planning a trip to Colorado? Be sure to add Cellar West Artisan Ales to your list of brewery visits. And now, back to the show. Circling back to the, the authenticity piece that you just brought up, let's let's talk about, about your beer a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so check loggers, right? Um, yeah. give me uh the give me the elevator pitch, the the brief background on check loggers. I've drank plenty of them, American <laughs> made, Czech yeah. made. I've never been to the Czech Republic. Um right. You know, tell me a little bit about Czech Lager. Yeah, so um, Czech Lager kind of gets its big inspiration from Pilsner Urquell. Um, obviously, most people who think of Czech Lager think of that brand first. Um, so, and it's an incredibly historic brand. Um, in 1842, the citizens of Pilsen decided they wanted better beer, and they literally took all the beer in the city and dumped it out in the town square and said, we're going to do better, basically. Um, <laughs> and they created they created the first the first Pilsner, the first, you know, pale beer. That was kind of their big contribution to uh, beer at that time. So um, 
tech bloggers have obviously gone, you know, been around for a long time. And the interesting fact I like to throw about throw out is that in the Czech Republic, uh, Pilsner Akel is the only beer referred to as Pilsner. Um, so if you order a Pilsner in the Czech Republic and they don't have Pilsner Akel, you're not going to get a beer. Um, and I think that's an interesting sort of Appalachian piece that hasn't, hasn't made it to today. So, hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's obviously survived. Everyone started imitating it. The Germans have a Pilsner, the Swiss have a Pilsner, and, and now it's you know, worldwide as essentially the most popular style um, consumed on a, on a daily basis. Uh, but yeah, it all kind of started in this tiny, and it's still a tiny town. Um, so some of the things that I think kind of made that beer what it is and, and production techniques that we use today to kind of try and match authenticity, there's you know five or six things I think that kind of, as I learned more about the style is, is sort of how it's produced not everywhere. Not all of these things are ubiquitous in Czech beer culture, but or Czech beer production. But I think they're definitely uh, for the foundation of kind of the style. So for us, that's uh, reverse osmosis water, so kind of matching that pills and water profile. Um, open fermentation, um, so fermenting in a vessel that doesn't have any top to it that allows a little bit softer, easier fermentation on the beer. Uh, decoction mashing is huge. Um, that's probably one of the ones that is the most consistent still. And the people I talk to and check is that decoction mashing is kind of necessary. Um, there's obviously some debate and some, I know you said you're a big podcast listener, so I'm sure you've heard people argue both sides of the coin. Um, I think, I think that uh, decoction mashing is no longer a necessary technique, but I think the Czech brewers have realized that there are auxiliary flavor and um, other, you know, qualities to the beer that are made better by decoction mashing. And so they still do it. Um, uh, so other, other products, uh, the, the efficiency those. purposes and whatnot are now outweighed by some of the, the flavor contributions and yeah. that they've got. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think that I, I'm, I, I think it's, it's hard for me to picture, um, a non-decocted beer matching the depth of grain flavor in the way that decoction can do. Um, I think mm. there is a, an obvious depth of flavor that comes across differently and it's not better or worse, right? I don't, I, I don't mind beers with less grain flavor. That's not a negative or depth of grain flavor, but I think that decoction mashing accelerates that grain depth and mouthfeel from grain in a, in a different way than a single infusion or a set mash can. Um, and I don't, again, it's, it's not to demean not doing those things. I just, and I think it's such an important part of the Czech beers that it's one of the things that, um, I, I really want to carry through and make sure we do on, on all of our beers. Um, but yeah, I think, so we're also doing um, whole cone hopping uh, on the hot side. Um, we haven't done any dry hopping yet, but uh, whole cones are how, how it would have been done before they had pellets, but obviously now a bunch of, there's a lot of brews that use pellets, um, horizontal lagering. So um, again, not seen everywhere in Czech, but a lot of breweries definitely use horizontal lagering. And that was the way, uh, even when they were using those large uh, wooden lagering vessels, those were uh, more sh shaped more like a lagering vessel that we have at our brewery. Um, and then natural carbonation is a big thing. So we spun the tanks, we capture the end of fermentation uh, to make sure we're carbonating the beers that way. And then the service methods are the other big piece of it. So using the traditional uh, lucre faucets, um, which were definitely, again, in other places, but the Czech have kind of embraced it quite a bit as a more traditional uh it, look, it looks like a ball valve instead of a plunger so you have quite a different bit of foam production you can get off of those beers and so um yeah embracing that that side of things was was big you know, for what, us as wet, well. more wet heavy foam 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's been interesting seeing the places that that does exist in Czech. I think I'm still trying to understand. Uh, there was a really interesting article from Evan Rail on good beer hunting about the Maliko pour uh, actually just came out this week, uh, essentially questioning its authenticity. And I, and people ask me all the time, like this all foam pour, is this, is this really a Czech thing? And, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, from what I can tell, it's, it's pretty much uh, a thing that people do with Pilsner or Cal. Uh, but he, he kind of talks in this article that it's not, if you go to those super old school hospodas, the pubs in these tiny towns and you ask for a Malico, they're, they're not going to serve you that. Um, which, which was, which was kind of news to me. I, I hadn't really had a chance to explore that deeply into, into Czech culture, but it's, uh, it's interesting seeing that particular poor style kind of make its way uh, as one of the more notable, I guess, notorious symbols of like the lucre faucet these days it's definitely it's making its round on social media quite a bit to have milk milk pours sure so for me uh, i mean and i think probably a lot of you know beer drinkers and beer enthusiasts in america a lot of the the culture that's been built around lager especially this this sort of new wave of, of lager and craft beer in america mm-hmm. i think a lot of it is and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would probably say more of it is maybe more German influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, when I think about German lager versus Czech lager, certain things come to mind. Um, and you touched on a lot of them. One definitely being water, right? Mm-hmm. So that famous Pilsen water profile, uh, really soft, right? Yeah. Yeah. Super soft water, uh, you know, Czech hops. Uh, so Sats, uh, it, what are, what are the other Czech hops. I mean, what are you guys using for, for hops? Yeah, we've, we've used, uh, two other varietals at this point and I have, uh, two more coming in. Uh, so we've used Sladek, uh, which means brewer in Czech. Uh, it's about a, I think it was like six, seven alpha has this kind of lemony quality. Um, so it's basically like saws with that herbally, uh, character to it. And then a little bit of lemon on top. Um, mm-hmm. and then we've used uh Sladek, which is, Sonic is very much like Saws to me. It has about, ours has about a seven alpha. Um, and I've used it primarily for bittering when I want a boost of, of bittering. Um, and yeah, it's I like really, a slightly bigger sauce, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I really enjoy the bitterness, the way the round rounded character of bitterness that I've gotten from it has really been great. So I'm, I'm probably going to keep using it as a, you know, if Saws that the Saws I have right now is three alpha and four alpha. So they're really low. Um, so getting up to some of the Czech IBU levels has been difficult with whole cone three alpha. Um, right. So I've been, I've been using Cosbex to kind of boost it a little bit for that. Uh, but I love it on its own as well. I just haven't used it uh, late all that much. And then saws, saws late. So there's a late harvested saws that also uh, bumps alpha and kind of intensifies some of the herbal qualities um, that I'm mm. getting this year. And then um, Bohemi, I believe is the other one that I'm getting, which, I, I rubbed it in the Czech Republic last time I was there, but I, I don't remember exactly what I got on it. I think I liked it for, I was potentially thinking about it being good in a dark lager, but I'd have to go back and check my notes. Are these Czech farmers and, and hop breeders uh, interested in developing more modern aromatic varietals, similar to like the, how the German hop growers are, you know, have Mandarina Bavaria and Hallertau yeah, yeah. Blanc now. And they don't, they don't seem to be. Um, I'm not really seeing uh any of that available i guess um Mm -hmm. they're definitely they definitely seem to they supply so like the the hop grower that i went to is bohemia hop 
And that's a company that also supplies uh, Asahi, which, uh, mm. you know, notably, notably purchased uh, Bells this week and New Belgium yep. last year. So uh, it's a big, that's a big producer of beer. And um, I think that they're able to, you know, maintain Saz as a hop has such a strong name and such a strong uh, liking in certain beers that I don't think they're needing to really develop anything different. I think they make enough Saz that they're kind of happy with that. And they haven't, I haven't seen a ton of push towards like an aromatic hop. Um, and any of the IPA producers uh, in the Czech Republic are using American hops. Um, you know, they're just like you see in, in France, which is kind of having a little beer revolution itself and uh, making a ton of IPAs. You, you see the, the new American hops is what they're, what they're using for the most part. So um, I think Czech, even though it has this little craft way of making you know, IPAs and, and fruited sours like you'd see here in the U.S., they're, they're still predominantly satisfied with making uh, just kind of lager hops and sauce hops. Are they, so they're brewing IPA in Czech Republic, American oh, style IPA? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's um, there's definitely some smaller craft breweries that are, I, I saw a, I'm going to, I'm not going to remember all the things. Uh, and what's crazy is they still put the Play-Doh in front. So it was a, it was a 21 <laughs> Play-Doh, 21 Play-Doh, Bilberry Gelato Cheesecake Sour something like that. Like it was, it was like something you figured you would see here in the U S only. Uh, but no, I, I, wow. yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're doing stuff like that. I don't think it's to the extent that it's happening here in the U S but it's happening, uh, alongside, they, they call them IPAs. They don't say IPA. Um, really? So they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They have, they have, they have IPA. Um, and I don't, I don't even know if they have DDH IPA, but I'm sure. So like when I go and hang out with the guys at Luker, I mean, he, he knows about all of the American beer trends. I mean, the people that are, are I think about in our generation and in the craft beer scene in, in Czech are way in tune with what's happening here on like the Instagram and social media side of things. And they're attempting to replicate those styles. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've had hazy IPA. I've seen people bar XYZ. 15 Plato hazy IPA. I mean, wow. it's, it's definitely, it's fascinating um, how it all kind of, you know, for so long, we, we were trying to sort of replicate or imitate what we were seeing overseas. And mm -hmm. now the, the opposite's happening to a certain extent. I want to, yeah. I don't want to over glorify the, uh, <clears throat> the contributions <laughs> that America's made to, to beer, but right. Right. You know, they're, that they, we have made contributions and, uh, it's crazy to see, you know, I've been in Ireland and I've seen hazy IPAs mm -hmm. and same thing in Belgium and, it's crazy. Oh yeah, I I saw it in Japan. I mean, it was yeah, it's it's nuts. It's it's definitely hazy IPA is around the world. <laughs> I, I would I would be I think it'd be hard to find a place where craft beer exists where hazy IPA does not exist. Sure, sure. Wow, crazy. <laughs> um, so cohesion. What uh, what do you guys have up your sleeves? What are you working on right now? What are you excited about? What what do you think the next year or so has in store for the brewery? Yeah. Uh, one one beer that I'm excited about right now, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I talked about it a little bit on, on my personal social media, but we haven't talked about it as a brewery yet, um, is I found a, a maltster out of Indiana who's growing Hana malt, uh, which Hana is the first varietal or the varietal used in the first batch of Pilsner Urkel. Um, oh, wow. was the, ori the original Moravian malt. Um, I don't know. I know Coors was growing quite a bit of Moravian malt. They claimed I have no, I don't remember what varietal they were growing here in Colorado. Um, but there's, so this guy out in Indiana, he found a breeder, a seed breeder, barley breeder out in Europe who still has a seed bank. 
and he got two packets of 300 grams of seed barley from them. Uh, went back and planted it in Indiana, and one of them worked and one of them didn't. Uh, that was about five years ago, so he's now got 10,000 pounds of this barley that he's grown from a little 300 gram seed packet year over year, um, wow. and and is able to share it with people. And it hasn't been so it's never been planted in the U.S. and it hasn't been brewed with since the 1940s. Um, wow. So this this mall is really really cool. I uh, I think people like you would have been really interested in the the flavors and the aromas that are coming from this malt. Uh, you know, right from the word, it, it really was unique, uh, not like something I had tasted before. It had a ton of interesting character to it. Um, you guys are using a lot of Troubadour malting, correct, out of Colorado? Yeah, yeah. so a con- so this was Sugar Creek Malting out of Indiana. Caleb, uh, I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Mitchell Key or something like that. Uh, we, had, we had a really interesting conversation about like, so with Troubadour, we've built a custom malt as well. And essentially most of the, you know, the reasons these these barleys went out of favor was because they were not as efficient. You couldn't get as much extract or there were some measurable statistic that was problematic in the brew house. So, I mean, and also there were people saying, I don't want to do this decoction mashing anymore. I don't want to finish this malt in the brew house. Make me something that I can, you know, cut three hours off my day and use. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up, I mean, favoring malts that were easier to use in the brew house or had more agronomic value to the grower or were uh, provide more extract. And it all, it all makes sense. So it's interesting because we grow Genie here in Colorado, which is definitely a newer varietal and that's uh, Troubadour is growing Genie malt. And essentially I, I went to Troubadour when we first started and I said, I want to make a slightly under modified malt to sort of replicate some of these old world European malts that were used to make these original Pilsners. Now, how do we do that? And Schooley, Chris Schooley and Steve Clark over there came up with some ways to modify their, their malting process to sort of make an under-modified malt for me. Um, and that's been our base malt, our, the malt we've used in every beer we've made so far and was kind of designed custom for us. Um, and what's interesting talking with Caleb about this Hana malt is that he, he can't, he, it has to be under-modified. You know, he said, I tried to do all the things that I would do to make a fully modified malt and it, it didn't work. Wow. Um, and so it's super interesting, I think, approaching a malt, right, and, and trying to make it under modified through the malting process and then just having a malt that is under modified. Um, and obviously that's why, you know, it, it, I think it, he said it stops being used around World War II. Um, so I think that's why, again, they switched off of it. And this is, we're all kind of speculating a little bit. He has some uh, information from the seed bank that he got it from that, um, you know, he knows he hasn't, it hasn't been grown in 80 years. Um, but it's, it kind of makes sense, you know, why, why something like that would stop working, but it's perfect for us. I mean, we're attempting to recreate some examples of styles, you know, in the traditional way in ways they would have tasted, um, when they were made in Europe a while back, uh, in the Czech Republic a while back. So this is, it's just a really cool connection to history and connection to get us, you know, a little bit closer to what this beer might taste like. Um, but, but obviously using craft malt and locally grown ingredients. So, um, so yeah, that, that one was kind of like the, I just brewed that yesterday actually. And it's, it was such a cool project. I'm super excited to taste the beer and, and do more things like that. And, and just talk about malt more. I mean, hops get so much of the attention. I think, uh, it's really nice to have a story that I think is pretty captivating around malt. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, I'm excited about that project. And then, uh, I think just, continuing to try to, you know, show people what, what Czech lager is and what it can be. And, um, we're, we're having 
a lot of fun on the low ABV range of things. So we've got an eight Plato, uh, three percent beer on tap right now, and I think we're gonna keep yeah. that rolling. Uh, I think we're gonna do. I'm basically gonna. I think I'm gonna do essentially a eight Plato most of the time, and just kind of alternate between light and dark. So do a darker one in the winter and a lighter one in the summer. Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a beer that brewers want to drink. It's a, it's the beer that I drink the most. And I think it's super fun to give someone a 3% beer and say, yeah, this, this has flavor. Uh, and I know, I know you've played around in that range recently too. Sure. Yeah. We did a, uh, 2.3, 2.4% yeah. ABV, uh, yeah. kind of an American pale ale. That was a fun experiment. And actually the beer turned out really great. It's called wizard. Style. Oh, that was, that was, um, I thought that was the Saison. That was pale ale. Uh, pale ale. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We did American pale ale. So we did English, uh, English yeast on it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, strain that, doesn't ferment maltrios um yeah so a yeah. little bit little bit of uh body and sweetness in the beer but it's still okay. finished at like 2.3 play-doh two two play-doh yeah. something like that yeah um nice. but uh yeah really fun experiment i think it's it's been uh really well received by the th- the community that i thought would receive it well <laughs> right right um, right we've had some uh some can accounts of ours uh that I had to say, hey, hey, hold on, pump the brakes. Wait, I can't supply that many cans for you. And then others who were like, I don't know if we can sell that. I think we're going to pass. And it's like, right on. So. I mean, it is, it's the 3% is our lowest rated beer by far. Like it's definitely not, I mean, mm-hmm. on, on untapped for whatever that's worth. It's not, mm-hmm. it is not the untapped beer. It is not right. going to be the most popular thing that we make by any stretch. But um, yeah, I think just like you brewers are interested in like, how do I make this low ABV so I can drink a lot of it? but it still tastes good. Like that's, that's something I, I enjoy pursuing. Right. So. I think for me, you know, with our, our low ABV, ABV endeavors that we're kind of, you know, getting into at the moment, and I hope we can continue to push forward with, um, I would love to be able to do non-alcoholic beers, um, that, yeah. that yep. I would enjoy. Um, and I could finish up a brew day with, but, uh, unfortunately we just, the equipment that in my opinion is needed to, to at the moment do it the right way or do it well, um, is a little bit cost prohibitive. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, we got quoted on some and I even tried to put something together where we could buy an alkalizer and, and, you know, do sort of a, a buy-in with five or 10 other breweries and all use it, but it just, it didn't make sense. And yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think the, the next best thing is just these very low ABV beers where you can have three or four of them and not, you know, hear the ringing in your ears and, and, uh, still get behind <laughs> yeah. the wheel of the car and drive home safely. And yeah, so. definitely. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Uh, very cool. So, Hey, I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but these days, mm-hmm. if, if I find you outside the brewery, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, much because you're a busy guy, but <laughs> where do you find yourself in Denver, uh, having a beer, a, a local brewery that you're enjoying oh, right yeah. now, or a, a, a beer shop or a, a you know, uh, mm-hmm. just a place to, to hang out and have a beer. Where would I find you? Yeah, I'm basically <laughs> currently splitting my time between uh, Bierstadt because I'm now so close to Bierstadt and they're making incredible lagers, great German style. And it's fun. It's super fun. I think you were starting to get into a little bit exploring that German Czech difference. Uh, I don't think there's any better place to explore German lagers locally than, than Bierstadt. So it's been fun doing that. Uh, and then basically Bear and Novel Strand. So Bear down on South Broadway and Novel Strand is right around the corner. So it's a nice uh, loop I can do over there. And um, yeah, we've uh, 
Tamir over at Novel Strand is making some really cool hazy IPAs and or not hazy. He wouldn't call them hazy. Sorry, unfiltered hoppy. He's gonna beer. cut your head off. <laughs> unfiltered hoppy beer, very clearly. Uh, <laughs> he's, <laughs> and he's, he's he's using a ton of New Zealand hops, which are always some of my favorites. Uh, when I was making IPAs, so I love I love tasting his New Zealand stuff. I know you love those New Zealand hops too, and I've had some great ones from from you too. Uh, but yeah, it's, and then he did like uh, that Una Una Fria of his was a lager he did with uh, Riwaka only that was uh, crazy crazy good. Um, nice. I hope, I'll have I hope to he, bug him. He's 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 on with me next Monday, so I'll have to. Bug oh him yes, tell but, him uh, tell him he needs to make more Una Fria. I will. He's making some great beers. I think he's he's definitely kind of uh, carving out his own niche in, in terms of the profile of his hoppy beers. You know, he's Chico yeah. yeast, but he's unfiltered, heavily dry hopped with a lot of New World stuff. Um, you know, I, I I understand the slip of the tongue with the hazy because they, you know, his beers <laughs> do have quite a bit of haste to them, but they're pretty dry and and right. uh, you know the the flavor profile certainly leans a little more West Coast than New England style. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying, yeah. Going to get a Saison or uh, yeah, bring, bring the green back or something like that at bear and then over to novel strand for a unfiltered hoppy beer, not a hazy IPA. Nice. All right, man. Well, Hey, um, so cohesion let's uh, if folks want to find out more about you guys, where do they go online? Yeah. Uh, social media is probably the best place. Facebook, Instagram. I'm attempting to be active on Twitter uh i i've been following i've been on twitter not at doing anything but following it for about five years now and i still don't understand it so um <laughs> twitter twitter's a weird place but i'm trying to be on twitter and then uh yeah we've got an email list on our website we're trying to like everybody after instagram went down it's like get on our email list so if that happens again we could talk to you <laughs> so got that captive yeah. audience <laughs> right right so we did we got to sign up on our website and then uh yeah come check us out we're north north denver and in Clayton uh, neighborhood of Denver, uh, just about 10 minutes from, from Rhino, the heart of Rhino. So not, not too far away. And, um, yeah, the, the tap room is really the best place to get the, the full experience. So come Great. on by. And if you're a lager enthusiast, you can do the, uh, the cohesion beer stock crawl. How far are you yeah. guys from beer stock? Like a mile? We maybe? are, we are an eight minute drive from beer stock. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Hey Eric, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, Zach. It's great. Great chat. And as always. Yeah. I appreciate your time. And, uh, I wish everyone over at Cohesion the best. Um, let's get a beer together soon. Let's do it, please. Yeah, I like it. I'll see you soon. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening to Zach Talks Beer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's kind of how we keep things rolling along over here. Um, we don't necessarily have a social media presence for the show, but you can visit ZachTalksBeer.com to contact me and to check out all the new episodes. I try to get to one every other week or so, but um, it just kind of depends on what I've got going on at the brewery. So, um, And on that note, feel free to visit CellarWest.com or CellarWestArtisanAles on Instagram or Facebook to learn a little more about my small brewery in Colorado. Hope everyone has a great next few days and we will circle back soon enough. Cheers. Thank you.